And today I'll be reading Exodus 2, 1 through 15. So, um, now a man of the... Uh, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no, no, no longer, she got a papyrus, yeah, that's how you say it, basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe as her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of your Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went to go to get the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him to me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out and where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing his way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting the fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When the Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Well, Erica just got done reading from the story of Exodus 2, 1 through 15. Um, and I'm going to get to that portion of Scripture in just a minute. But I want to kind of um, maybe get you up to speed on, on a couple of things that go on in our house. Okay? Now, scare, sharing things that go on in our house, my wife is a little nervous back there um, because she's wondering, well, what is, what is he going to say? But... Um, <coughs> I, I hope this gives you a better understanding of where I'm coming from. Yesterday, Anthony and I and a couple other guys in our family, uh, my brother-in-law and, um, and his son and, and my brother, we, we all went to the sports show, okay, the Milwaukee sports show. Maybe some of you had a chance to get down there. Um, it's a great time. It's, it, it's something that actually I used to do growing up. My dad would take us to the sports show, and um, I don't know if, if Donovan's here. Uh, Donovan and Rondi would get a kick out of this, but we used to do it as a ranger group. What we would do is we'd, we'd spend, I, I was the little Royal Ranger back in the day, and, and, and we would spend, spend the night at church, and we'd get up, eat a big breakfast, and then go to the sports show. It was awesome. And so I, I don't know if the best part was the sports show or just getting a chance to do that with your friends, but we had a good time, and, and, and Anthony loves doing that. And um, he had a chance to go rock climbing. So... And he totally took advantage of it. He loves doing stuff like that. And so he, he got the little harness on. And, and believe it or not, there's no age limit, they said. Or there's no, like, age restriction because you're all harnessed up anyways. So, there were, you know, Anthony did it, I think, the first time when he was three. He just wanted to do it. So we got him on there, and he climbed around. And then, you know, they kind of push off, and they just slowly go to the ground. Um, Anthony got to shoot a bow and arrow 
Okay? Some of you hunters would be proud of Anthony. He, with some help, he, and like seven yards away, he shot uh, a target. So, but um, he also got a chance to shoot a paintball gun for the first time. You know, all, all those kinds of things that boys should do. You know, they should. <laughs> Amen. They, they should get out there and, and, and try that kind of stuff. And An- Anthony loves doing that kind of stuff. But not just that. But if you know Anthony, he also really loves sports. And this week um, is going to be a fun week for us because coming up pretty soon it starts the NCAA tournament. Any other NCAA tournament fans who follows the tournament and everything? See? Love it. Now, this is what we do at our house, too. And once, once again, I'm kind of letting you in here. Okay? My wife and I fill out a bracket. <laughs> Ever since we were married, and I think even before when we were engaged, uh, but we fill out a bracket every year, and believe it or not, she does really well. Now, she's not like a super fan of the, of the tournament or anything, but I think she does it more just to make me happy, and so I have somebody to, to do that with. But last year, Anthony, for the first, he saw us doing this, and he wanted to fill out a bracket. Now, Anthony has no idea about any of these teams. Okay? So what we did is we just read through, and he got to pick which team he thought would win and everything. And you know what? It was a three-way neck-and-neck race through that tournament. And I, I'm telling you, I, I follow these teams all through the year. Okay? And t- guys, let me know if you do this too. You get to the tournament, you make your picks, and you're solid, you're confident, because you've watched these teams, you know what you're going to do, and then your wife beats you in the bracket. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so what we do is there's no betting, but we just get to decide... Kristen got to decide that year where we got to go eat for dinner that night. So, uh, but it was just a fun way. And, and you know what? It's, it's fun to, to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I was excited when we had, you know, started having kids because then I felt like I could bring them along on that journey with me. And that's fun. That's exciting. Just like hunting is for, I know, Pastor Mark and his boys. You guys have a lot of good memories. It's a great way as a family to be able to build memories with your kids and everything. And I love sports, and so it seems like naturally Anthony would like them too. But maybe just like many of you, there, there are some other things in our house that maybe don't come so easy, some, some problems. And just like many of you, my wife and I continue to struggle with kind of one main thing. We wrestle with this, not necessarily, um, you know, what, because you use your, the Bible and everything, but how do you carry this out? How do you prepare kids to live for God you know how do you do that because if there's anything that a parent wants there's nothing that a parent wants more than to have their kids serving God when they get older I mean as a parent that's what we desire and how do you do that well no matter your age we're we're all dealing with this on some level aren't we some of you have kids at home and this is this is something that you deal with on a day-to-day basis saying you know what should I be instilling into my kids you know how do we do this what decisions should be made on that? Uh, maybe for some of you who don't have your kids at home, and my dad told me this, he said, you know, your concern for your child's spiritual life doesn't walk out the door with them. When they leave home, you don't throw your hands up and say, well, good luck. You know, there's prayer, there's, there's guidance, there's just so much you want to do. And I think, I think sometimes in that situation, the hard part may be, kind of releasing them and, and, and giving them the opportunity to succeed. And, and maybe for some of you, as aunts and uncles or cousins, or you're in a very unique position to have a positive impact on the kids in your life that you're close to. And kids, family service today, 
I want our kids to be able to understand a parent's perspective today. Maybe some of these things, kids, you never thought, I never realized that my mom or dad, you know, really struggled with that or, or were trying to figure that out. And of course, kids, as I say almost every week, junior hires, uh, elementary kids, you should leave here with a better understanding of who God is. Isn't that one of our goals every time we get together? We always pray and say, God, pray that we would take advantage of the opportunity to experience you and we would leave here with a better understanding of who you are. Now, Erica did a great job a few minutes ago reading to us an excerpt from Exodus chapter 2 about the life of Moses. And I believe God wants us to look at this portion of Scripture today um, in a little different light maybe than what we have before. But before we even get to Moses in that part of Scripture, we have to know a little bit of history. So if you'll remember the story of Joseph, okay? The story of Joseph, and kids, you may remember it. Joseph had the coat, and all his brothers were envious with him, and remember he sold him into slavery. And through a series of God-ordained events, he ends up second in command in Egypt. Okay, so what started what what started is kind of rough for Joseph. He ended up actually in a pretty good position, and being in this position, he and uh, the other Hebrew people who dwelt in Egypt were welcomed, and they lived in Egypt for years. But what happened is, is Joseph eventually died. And so did his brothers, and really that entire generation passed away. And during this time, the children of Israel increased, they multiplied. Um, but a new king, a new Egyptian king came along who didn't know Joseph or any of the history between the Hebrew people and the Egyptians. And the king became pretty afraid of the Hebrew people because there were a lot of them. And what he thought is, he said, you know what, if we don't get a handle on this, these people are, could eventually side with our enemies and turn against Egypt. So he decided to enslave them, as if that would endear them to the Egyptians. I don't know his logic behind that, but that's what he did. And the king's fear so controlled him that he gathered the Hebrew midwives and told them, he, this, he was so controlled by this fear, that he told them to kill any Hebrew baby boys that were born. That's a ridiculous thing to ask somebody. Because, of course, this didn't work. The Hebrew midwives refused to do such an awful thing. So the king told all the people that if you have a baby boy, you need to throw the baby into the river, but you can keep all your daughters. Once again, this king is making, so controlled by the sphere, is making kind of these ridiculous demands. But this is where we pick up Moses' story. When Erica began reading... And so in Exodus 2, verses 1 through 5, reading that portion of Scripture, as I was wrestling with it and working through it, is this is what amazes me about it. Is Moses was raised in an Egyptian palace most of his life, right? So I find it very interesting that when he was grown, he still found his Hebrew heritage and faith very important. That that compelled him to do that really a horrible act of ended up killing the Egyptian. But what made him stick with his faith? Parents, isn't that what a lot of times we ask ourselves? What helped him stay true to God? After all, isn't this what we all want for the kids in our lives? What was it that made it stick? And God wants us to see how Moses' family prepared him to live for God, even in such a short amount of time. In chapter 2, verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mother to take him and nurse him until he was weaned. Okay? She would even get paid to do this. And all the moms said, Amen. That's right. So, 
They should have continued that part of it. Hey, that would have been nice. So, but then in verse 10 it says that the child grew, and once he was weaned, between ages 2 and 4 is usually the common belief, she gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, now that's not a lot of time. In fact, Anthony's past that age. He just turned 5. And, um, but here's what we can take away from that. Moses must have been developed intentionally by his father and mother during that time. That must have been an intentional moment of what they were doing. In fact, child development statistics would agree with this because child psychology shows that the first three to five years of life can be and are in a lot of cases the most important in that child's development, both physically, emotionally, socially, in all those areas, but also in their overall cognitive development, their brain development, and even their spiritual development. And so, as a church family, I would say drawing from that, isn't that something that we need to be intentional with this age group as well? And that is why we as a church have been pouring so much energy into the early, uh, the early childhood group, the one-way care room, that if you're looking from the platform, you can see right into the room, right in there, across there, that room. That's for our three through five-year-olds. We have our one-way baby room the, where the infants go um, for the infants through two years old. We expanded the one-way K room, got new curriculum, added volunteers, all that kind of stuff, and added an age-appropriate curriculum for our youngest group in our one-way baby room. Our infants do something called play and worship, and it's really cute. Elena, when she sees the little softy puppets, some of you are smiling because you've seen this or done, done this with the kids. There's these little softy puppets, and when she sees them, she says, Bible, Bible. And it's really cute because as a dad, you want your kids saying stuff like that. You know, it just, just makes you smile. So, <clears throat> so let's, as a church, let's be intentional with these precious kids in our church. And that's something that all of us can do with kids or without kids. But mom and dads, I, I want to ask you a question. And, and moms, maybe you would even answer this differently. But what if you only had your child for three years? What would you be intentional about? As I was thinking through this, some of the situations that I came up with is, would we work the overtime or would we use that time to intentionally impact our child's life for eternity? Wouldn't we reconsider our priorities? If we only had three years to try to develop our kids making sure we were intentionally communicating love, the love of family, the love of God, family history, faith, all those things that we would say, those are really important to us, and I'd really love to pass that down to our kids. How would you have handled having your child for only three years? Would you do all the weekend getaways, or would you make sure your kids were in church with you? Husbands and wives, maybe we'd have a different perspective too on our relationships if we knew our spouse were only around for three years. In fact, when I was preparing, God kind of uh, convicted me as well. If, if you know Kristen and I, we're probably like many of you, is we can be super frugal. Everything's budgeted. Every in part of income that comes in has 
an expense, and it's actually pretty tight, you know, like times are. Our economy and everything really makes it that way. Everything is budgeted, and if we don't have to spend the money, we don't. And if we spend it we, and we didn't need to, that bothers us, right? Okay? Then we have to rehash, well, why did we do that? And how can we, you know, make it work again? And you, you, you refigure. And in this situation, one of the first things to go, at least I noticed with us, was our date night. Because, you know what? There's so many other things that need to be dealt with. Um, we, we'll hang out or we tell ourselves, we'll hang out and just have a cup of coffee at home. When in reality, sometimes you actually need to get away in order for that to happen. So, and, and so God was really speaking to me about this, and I need to make sure for me personally that I'm more intentional with my relationship with my wife because I tell you what, every penny invested into our relationship is well worth it. And that's, and that's really worthwhile. What if you only had your spouse for three years? Maybe my dad would have a great answer to that question. You see, last July, um, we had come to church. It was a Sunday morning. It's the end of July. It's probably disgustingly hot. And we were at church, had my phone off and everything. And after church, got my phone back on on the road. Myself, Kristen, Anthony, and Elaine, and we were all in the, in the van driving back to uh, Pete and Doris's, actually. And turned on my phone and had a couple of messages. So I listened to the messages. It was from a number of different siblings in my family. And an emergency had taken place. They said, you've got to give me a call. You've got to give me a call right away. When you're done with church, you know, let me know. Call us. And I finally called. And everybody was on their way to the hospital. My mom that morning wasn't feeling well. My dad got up, went to church, said to my mom, you know what, just stay home, relax, you know, take it easy. You need to make sure you get well. So he was at church, and, and all of a sudden my mom started having these signs and symptoms of a heart attack. And, And it got so bad to the point where she was trying to get a hold of my dad. She couldn't get a hold of him. His phone was off. And she got a hold of my sister eventually and called the ambulance. And they came and got her. They rushed her to Community Memorial Hospital. Everybody in my family was heading there. I dropped Kristen off and the kids, got right back in the van, came down over to Menominee Falls at Community Memorial and got there. My dad had just gotten off the phone when I walked into the waiting area and and he was crying. My dad's about as big and loud as they come. And uh, not an over-emotional guy. And uh, he, he looked at me, and with, with tears in his eyes, he said, Son, we almost lost her. What had happened was, is, is, is my mom had had a massive heart attack with 99% blockage in one of her arteries, another 80% in the other artery, and the doctor had just came in and talked to the rest of the family who had gotten there before I did and said, you know, 98% of people don't make it through the massive heart attack your mom just had. And everybody, of course, was very emotional at that time. But it was because of the prayers of people and probably just the pure fact of God's mercy that her life was spared. So if I were to ask my dad this question, if 
your spouse were only alive or around for three years, don't you think my dad was more intentional in his interactions with my mom? Yeah. As a, as a son, I, I felt horrible thinking of, you know, I really need to make sure I'm doing a better job in this relationship with my mom. If we only had three years, wouldn't we be very intentional? What about us as a church? What about Portview? What if we said, you know what? Three years, that in, in three years, for whatever reason, Portview would not exist. What would we want to have, wouldn't we want to have an impact and an effect on our community? For the gospel, to tell other people about the about what Jesus did for them, wouldn't we be a lot more intentional and purposeful at reaching and trying to report Washington and the surrounding communities as a church? There were some friends of ours at a church we used to attend, um, and they were, he was actually studying to be a doctor, and he had come to the Milwaukee area um, to go to residency uh, at the Medical College of Wisconsin down in Wauwatosa, Freightert, and... They were only going to be there for about three to four years. That's usually how long a residency takes. And so, um, but what I really liked about them is they, they were the Velody family, and they, they were about our age at that time. And um, they had a, started to have a couple little kids and everything. But what I noticed about them and what stu- stood out to me about them is that they were very intentional with the only three years that they knew that they were going to be in our community. They, they could have very easily justified the fact of, you know what, we're going to be here for a kid's kind of stopping point, and then we're going to, they ended up moving out to Pittsburgh, and he's on uh, over at a hospital over there. And, and so he could have very easily said, you know what, this isn't, uh, we're not going to be here very long. We're not going to invest a lot of energy into this. But they didn't. They came in, they came on board, they jumped in. He was on committees. He was on, um, uh, you know, teams as far as teaching Sunday school actually worked quite a bit with him in developing a couple of different things that happened at that church. Really sharp guy. And he was very intentional. Their whole family was intentional with the time that they were there. And I thought, man, what a great way to approach it. You know, if I'm going to be here, let's, let's make an impact. Let's, let's do something for God, even if it's only for three years. How is God telling you to be intentional here at Portview? Moses must have been developed intentionally by his father and mother. In verse 11, the story jumps right to when Moses was grown. doesn't give us an exact time, upper teen years, maybe young adulthood. And in verses 11 through 12, the Bible describes a very telling incident where Moses sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. Once again, telling us that something that happened in those early years was transitioning and stuck with him in those upper teen and young adulthood years. Even after many years, he still felt felt a very strong connection to the Hebrew people, and that is what his mom and dad were going for when they were being very intentional with him in his early years. He responded to this right desire to help, right? He wanted to help. He He saw an atrocity taking place. He saw someone being beaten. So what did he do? He looked around to make sure nobody was looking, killed the Egyptian, and hit his body. (laughs) Whoops. 
Moses had the right motivation. There's nothing wrong with what he wanted to do. He had the right motivation, but the wrong method. He followed the heart of his upbringing, a godly home, but used the method, you could almost say, of the palace. And in what ways have we mixed worldly things to get godly results? Our motivation may be right, but we use the wrong method. We fight and win the battle only to lose the war sometimes, don't we? Especially as, as parents and, and, and working with kids sometimes, you're so, sometimes you're being so intentional that it's a whatever-it-takes approach to get it done in your kids. And that gets carried too far a lot of times. We win the battle, but we lose the war. When I was teaching, um, I remember a, a, really, a really good teacher. She was. She was a great teacher. But every once in a while, and I don't understand how, because she, she was very good at what she did, but she would end up yelling at her kids to get them to be quiet. Now, the expectation was good. You know, in the classroom, you have to have a controlled environment in order for everybody to learn. You know, if a couple kids are taken over the classroom, then that, then, that allow, then that doesn't let the kids, the rest of the kids who are there be able to learn. And so, but, the ex, but the method was a little counterproductive. You know, they may have gotten, she may have gotten the kids quiet for a few minutes, but ended up struggling with the same issue all year long. What happened was that she ended up winning the battle, but losing the war. You know, what about at home? One of the issues that we seem to have almost day in and day out is Anthony comes up to Kristen on almost a daily basis and said, Mom, can I watch TV? <laughs> what is it with kids and just obsessed with TV? I don't know why. So you're not the only one if your kid has struggled or struggles with that. That's, I think that's normal, right, Pastor Mark? Okay. But <clears throat> we don't want him watching certain things, right? There, you know, we want to be able to see what he's doing and what he's watching, and so, which is the right motivation. So to make sure this doesn't happen, sometimes what people do is they watch the shows when the kids aren't around or when the kids are in bed. So that way, little Joey's not watching it. But eventually, you'll lose that war. Kids get confused with messages like this. They see right motivation. You can't watch this because it's a bad show, but they're confused by the wrong method. They say, when I'm being yelled at to be quiet, that's exactly what they're telling me not to do, right? Okay. Why am I being told that this show is bad to watch, but then I see my parents watching that bad show? Win the battle, but lose the war. In an effort to do what's right, sometimes we end up making things worse. How many of you have found yourself in that position? I have been bothered by that numerous times. But Lord, I was trying to do the right thing. Win the battle, but lose the war. God wants us to have the passion to do what's right and the wisdom to carry it out. In Moses' situation, he won the battle, but he ended up losing the war. He ended up having to run away as a fugitive with his own life at risk for trying to do the right thing. Imagine the frustration that goes with that. What method is God telling you to change to help you win your home? 
Moses had the right motivation, but the wrong method. In verse 15, we find Moses running for his life. Pharaoh found out what he did, and he wants to kill him. And we find Moses in the land of Midian, exhausted, sitting up against a well, probably with his head resting against the stone. What do you think was going through his mind? Finding himself in that situation. What would be going through your mind? Maybe something like, ah, I really messed up this time. Just kind of frustrated about the whole thing, sitting there. Maybe he said, you know, I can't believe I did that. That was so ridiculous. Why would I do such a thing? He probably felt horrible for what he did. And right at that moment, he was in the beginning of a journey that we all have been on at some point. Right at that moment, God was beginning to give him a second chance. Moses was given a second chance by God. And you know what? There's a lot of things that you don't get a second chance on, aren't there? I've heard from a number of parents. They said, one thing you don't get a second chance on is raising your kids. I thought, well, man, isn't that why we want to be so intentional? It's a one-shot deal. Or, for you golfers out there, there's no mulligans. Which, I can't golf without them. First impressions, we can't get a second chance at. Or, a lot of times, what we say, right? I've learned the hard way that we can't take our words back. Words can get us in a lot of trouble. For a long time. Maybe that's happened to some of you, too. But the neat thing about God is that God gives us a second chance. God is the one who even when there have been past failures, even when things went wrong, even during the times when we did something wrong and we know we can't go back and fix it, God is the one there giving us a second chance. I don't think Moses was just sitting sitting there thinking, you know, God's going to give me another chance and thinking that God will use me to lead the Hebrew people to the promised land, and he's going to perform great miracles through me, some of the greatest in history, and that he would become such, I'm going to become such a well-known forefather of the Jewish and Christian faith. I'm sure Moses was not thinking about anything like that. But in those times in my life, when I'm sitting up against the well, kicking myself for how I carried something out, or the only thing I want more than anything else is to be given another chance, isn't it? And the story of Moses and really the Israelite people is a story of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances, right? God time and time again gives Moses another chance. He gave his people another chance. All throughout the Bible, people are given another chance with God. And if we look back in our lives, we can maybe think of a time, maybe not all that long ago, where you know that God gave you another chance. What are the areas in your life right now that you're sitting against the well, having just gone through something that didn't turn out quite how you had intended? God gives people second chances. The Bible says in Joshua 1.5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God is a God of second chances. The funny thing about second chances is you don't get one unless you admit you did something wrong. We need to be able to initiate reconciliation, start the process, be the first 
to say I'm sorry. My wife can't give me a second chance unless I go up to her and say, Kristen, I'm sorry for what I said or what I did. But you know what, Pastor Paul, if I, if I do that, this is what keeps us back a lot of times from doing it. If I do that, what I'm doing is I'm giving up control over that situation. I don't know how they're going to respond. But isn't that what God is kind of looking for us, looking for in us? For us to be able to give up that control, for us to be able to go to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. In our families and in our homes and in our relationships, let's model humility and forgiveness. And I think in so doing, you'll be, you'll be intentional with the kids and the people in your life if you will do that. God gave Moses a second chance. So let's reflect God in our families and in our homes by giving a second chance to others as well. As a family and as a church family, let's be committed to intentionally helping each other live for God. Everybody stand.